Hey friends, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. As we come into the last few weeks of this year, I want us to think about next year, and I want you to think about where will your facility be this time next year. If you're planning campus expansion, if you're looking at a way to improve your facility, you need to talk to our friends over at Plain Joe Studios. We love Plain Joe Studios. They describe themselves as spatial storytellers. I know you might be thinking, what on earth is a spatial story storyteller? Well, it means that they're the very best at taking your church's story and bringing it to life through your physical space. They combine architecture, concept design, graphic design, technology integration, and a deep love, deep, deep love for the local church into a singular design process that will help elevate your church building into an immersive asset that propels your mission and connects more people to your story. These guys have literal Disney heritage with principals who have worked with the Walt Disney Company and an incredibly deeply talented team that just gets the local church. They get what you're trying to do. Next year, the year beyond, you should talk to them today. From the cafe design to kids ministry theming to major master planning and renovations for a large campus, Plain Joe Studios is the partner you're going to want to call it on. What I want you to do is to go to plainjoestudios.com forward slash unseminary and connect with them today for an absolutely free 30-minute consultation. It's free. They'd love to talk to you and hear about what's going on in your church and to hear your story. So even if you're in the early stages, you cannot call these guys too early. Today's the day to call them. plainjoestudios.com forward slash unseminary and connect with them for a free 30-minute consultation. They would love to talk with you and get to know your story a bit more. Again, I love Plain Joe Studios. They would love to do some spatial storytelling for you. Let's dig into today's episode. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. My name's Rich. So glad that you have decided to tune in. You know, we are, I think this is episode... 500 and something. I, I stopped counting mid 500s. And, you know, over the time, we have not had a lot of repeat guests on the podcast. In fact, I can count them on two hands now. There are maybe six or seven people that we've had on twice. But today is one of those times. Super excited to have Carl Vader's with us. Fantastic leader, Cornerstone Christian Church, a friend of mine from California. Carl, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Rich. And what an honor to be a return guest. I didn't know there had been that few of us. Yeah, there just are not a lot. Um, and so I, I'm excited to have you on uh, to kind of talk through what you've been learning this year. This has been quite the year. It's one of those, t- you know, years when you people ask and, you know, instinctively, and we said it before the call, it's like, how are you doing? And it's like, well, it's, there's so much to talk about. So, um, but why don't we start with, for people who don't kind of know you, give us a bit, a bit of your story. Tell us a little bit about the church. Give us some context. Sure. Yeah, I, I've I've been in ministry for over forty years now, and when I first came in ministry, actually when I was trained for ministry in Bible college, uh, not much. I was taught pretty much the same thing my father and my grandfather before me were taught, and they they both went to Bible college as well. In fact, about half the textbooks I used, I borrowed from my father from when he was in college. <laughs> That's great. Right? And then I'm I'm five years out of Bible college, and everything shifts, and it's all new books, and the church growth. Um, stuff comes in with a vengeance. And I look around and go, I got to relearn everything. And I did. Mm. I 
I, I set everything else aside. I picked it up. I relearned it and gained a great deal from the church growth movement. Uh, but what I found was as I kept trying to apply the church growth principles, they just didn't work for me in the way that they seemed to promise. And I'm going to say seemed to, because I'll, I'll, I'll put that burden on me that there was this, this promise. I think if you ask most church growth people, they'll say, no, there's no guarantees, but there are principles. Right. But yeah. I took it as a guarantee. I, I, that's on me. That's not on them. Um, and almost left ministry because I was so frustrated with not have, seeing them work in my church. And, and by not working, I mean, I, we didn't produce the numbers that I had believed were inevitable. Almost left ministry. And then I looked around and realized, well, I'm not the only one. In fact, I'm not in a small percentage. I'm in the the big, you know, that big bell curve middle of, of churches, of small churches, 90% of us are, you know, around this size. So maybe there's something else going on. And through a long series of processes and experiences and frustrations and prayers and study and so on, I came to discover maybe the fact that there's tons of small churches in the world isn't necessarily a problem to fix. Maybe it's a part of a strategy strategy that God wants us to use. And what might that strategy be? So mm-hmm. I started pursuing it that way. And I so I, I now thought, okay, let's find out what good small churches look like. Let's not assume that small is a problem. Let's always pursue growth. But let's start with the idea that there's something that God has for small churches to do, and let's pursue that to begin with. So yeah, I became the small church it. guy, and here I am. Yeah, and I, so this is, uh, you know, for longtime listeners, um, if you if you didn't listen to Carl's uh, episode when he was on before, you, you'll understand that there's a re- why why I love Carl, why I think he's a fantastic leader. I think you have a real heart for serving leaders, um, and you provide super practical resources and help. And so I am uh, super expo- super excited to expose people again uh, to you. And I, and I like that idea. I think that is a good um, tempering. Uh, particularly for us at Unseminary, we talk to, to to growing church leaders all the time from fast-growing churches. And I think I don't ever want there to be this assumption that like, okay, if you're not X size, that, hey, something is wrong. And so that's a part of why I appreciate that you're, you would take time out from your busy schedule to come and be on uh, the show. Now, one thing that caught my attention this year, so this has been quite the year, you know, it, and from all different angles, you know, COVID, um, there have been uh, you know, in your part of the country, just incredible um, fires this fall. You know, over the summertime, we had incredible social unrest. Um, you know, there and you know, major election, um, political upheaval. It, there's been a lot going on. And uh, you wrote this book that I want to kind of bring people up to speed on, called the Church Recovery Guide: How Your Congregation Can Adapt and Thrive After a crisis. And, you know, most of us can identify a crisis that we've been through this year. I want to help people understand, but why don't we take a step back and understand kind of some of the differences between churches that are thriving and those that are struggling, that maybe are collapsing in this season. Help us kind of pull that apart. Uh, What are some of those kind of uh, hallmark signs of what that looks like uh, in, in churches today? Yeah, that's a good idea. But let me t- let me take a look at it in three different places, and I'm going to give you each category because pandemic brain is a real thing. And if I forget any one of these three, I'm going to ask you to remind me. <laughs> uh, I, I want to look at um, tech- technical trauma and unity. Uh, what I've seen in small churches, especially, but I think in the church in general and in people in general, is when pandemic hit, we we went through these different stages of primary needs. Our first primary need was technical. We went from this Sunday, we're in church like normal. By next Sunday, we're not allowed to be in the building, and we have to figure out how to live stream. And for small church pastors, 
The pastor's got to do it from their house, and they've never done it before. And they got to figure out using their laptop or their smartphone how to live stream for the first time, and that's the only option. And then help their congregation understand how to watch the live stream when they've never watched it before. So for the first few weeks, it was just all kinds of mayhem with calls and everything else for people. How do I do this? Well, while in our church, we're trying to figure out how to do it ourselves. Um, So that was the initial thing for the first six to eight weeks. It seemed to be nothing but technical. We got to try to figure this out. Uh, And then it shifted from technical to trauma. Um, And and what I mean by trauma is... um, well, a trauma. We're all under trauma. Right. <laughs> when this first hit, and initially it kind of reminded me, it had echoes, it felt a lot like 9-11. Uh, but then very quickly, as you just mentioned, it it changed. Because at 9-11, there was a singular event. We all experienced it together to different degrees. If you were in New York, you experienced it differently from California, differently from Canada, obviously. But we all experienced the same event at the same time, and we recovered in the same, you know, in the same manner, you know, a different but but it was one event. This one, we thought it was, okay, we got a pandemic, we got to figure it out. And then all the other things kept layering on it one after another, from racial uh, issues to then civil unrest, to the political climate, to two hurricanes hitting at once and fires in California and right all this stuff all over the place. Uh, not far from where you are in a little town of Bob Cajun, where I have family almost everybody in town has tested positive and, and over half the people in their senior center passed away within yep. a few weeks of the beginning of this thing. Right. Yep. So it's just massive trauma. And and when you're, when you're having multiple traumas at different times, then you're in different stages of recovery from each trauma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of a sudden it becomes this huge, huge issue where we're trying to figure out one as pastors, as church leaders, we have our own trauma. Right. The mm. first thing, let me, let me, let me, if, if pastors listening to me, if you get nothing else out of this today, hear this, recognize your own trauma first mm. and, and seek health and wholeness for yourself first. Mm. Too many of us are fixers and helpers and we're getting out there trying to help everybody else out and we're hurting ourselves. We're burning ourselves out. And yeah. I, from what I'm seeing, I think we're all looking at once this thing is over, whenever that might be. I think we're going to have a couple of years of pastoral resignations and church closures like we've never seen in our lifetimes oh, before. Absolutely. Because absolutely. I'm watching the burnout happen in real time. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm asking pastors, first of all, please recognize your own trauma. You are not immune to this. We are not supermen. Uh, we have to deal with our own trauma first. And then after we've da- done that, we can help others deal with our own trauma. It's w- one of the chapters in the book. Uh, I talk about the five stages of grief that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross really gifted the world with back in the 60s and 70s. And uh, if you're not familiar with it, you are. Because <laughs> anytime you've ever heard the phrase, <laughs> Go, you're in, good. You're yeah, in yeah. denial, it yes. comes from that. And she she recognized that we recover emotionally and mentally from trauma through going through five overlapping stages, uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Um but what I've also noticed now with multiple traumas layering upon one another and in various stages of trauma, some of us have chosen one of those uh, stages, not as a stage to pass through, but as, as as a campsite to hang out in for a long time. So it's like mm. some of us are just, we've landed on anger and we're going to stay there, right? Oh. <laughs> and, and, and you've got some people in your congregation who are just acceptors. Like every time you turn around, they're just going, oh no, it just is what it is. And sometimes those people who look like they're accepting everything are actually hiding their trauma behind a, a false facade of acceptance. 
So we're all dealing with trauma in different ways. We as leaders have to address our own trauma first, and then we have to reach out and recognize just because someone is triggering on a particular issue doesn't mean that that's what's most important to them. Um, mm. There are a lot of arguments going around. We had a, I, I watched an argument happen in real time not long ago when, when there was a, about two weeks where everybody was toppling over statues. Remember that? Yep, yep. And uh, I remember somebody in a real conversation, somebody says, oh, I can't believe they're toppling those statues over. It makes me so mad. And another person in the conversation looked at them and said, really, you're upset about statues. I never heard you say a word about George Floyd, but you're upset about statues. Mm. So statues oh, matter wow. more to you than actual people being killed. Oh, wow. Like, boom. And it then was, it went on it from there. On, right? <laughs> oh, oh, right. Yeah. Yes. But, yeah. but God bless them. They were able to calm down. And what they recognized was, and uh, the, the original person explained was, no, statues are not more important to me than people. This was the straw that broke my camel's back, right? I've been upset all along, and it just took this much piled on before it finally came out. So this is what triggered me, but it's not what's most important to me. Mm. So uh, the, the phrase I like to use with people is don't let your trigger become your truth. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's good. The thing that triggers you may be what's making you most emotional right now, but our emotions and our value systems, while they overlap, are are not directly related to each other. Something can trigger you emotionally <clears throat> that isn't necessarily what's most important to you on your value system. Mm. And and we need to give we need to understand that on ourselves and we need to give grace to others in that as well. And as pastors and church leaders, we need to help people navigate through that for themselves and in their relationships. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Cause our, so, our triggers, our triggers are more about emotion than they are about value systems. Right. Absolutely. So, and then the third category you talked about was unity. How, help us yeah. understand that. Yeah. Which we've kind of overlapped into already. Yeah. So we, we went yep. from trauma and then out of that trauma, now we've got disunity. And what I've noticed yep. uh, in, in the churches, one of the primary differences between churches that are surviving and thriving on one side and are collapsing or actually disappeared on the other side. Um, one of the big differences is unity. And uh, real quick, when I say thriving, I don't mean, hey, our church is doing great. The world around us may be falling to pieces, but our right. church is doing yes. that's not That's not a thriving church. Uh, it's a selfish church. Uh, by thriving, I mean they're not just doing solid themselves, but they're being a blessing to their community and they're elevating everybody around them. Mm -hmm. So the churches that are thriving have unity. The churches that are collapsing might have had uniformity, mm. but they didn't have unity. Mm. And what I'm noticing, and this is from a lot of conversations with a lot of pastors from a lot of churches, mostly small, but not always, churches that have uniformity, they all vote the same way. They all look the same way. They're all of the same racial or ethnic mix. They're all of the same age group. They're all of the same spiritual maturity, whatever. That churches that are that are uniform are actually having a hard time staying united because mm. these emotional things are triggering them. Those that are united in mission, even though they have varying um, backgrounds, varying ethnicities, varying political viewpoints, those are actually the churches that are are, are surviving, thriving, and blessing their community, and are actually getting stronger right now. Mm. So mm. uniformity. It is is a shortcut and it looks like unity, but it's not. And when things like this happen, when trauma hits, unity survives and uniformity collapses. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So 
that's that's so much there. That's I, I love you know how you've unpacked that. Um, how when you think of the churches that you're engaging with, when you you you've provided this book really does provide kind of a step by step. Um, kind of guide helps people wrestle through uh, this whole recovery process. Um, what are what's some of the common advice you find yourself kind of early steps uh, to help churches uh, really in this recovery time frame? Which you know the thing I appreciate about y- your book, well, you specifically, but your book is um, you know we're not trying to rush out of this. It's like hey, this is <laughs> we're here. This is the world we find ourselves in uh, for the foreseeable future. It's going to maybe look a little different over the year, over the coming years, but uh, you know we're it's going to be a while here, but what would be some of those first steps that you would encourage churches to take towards the path to recovery? Yeah, either in my intro or in the first chapter, I think it's the first chapter, I start out by saying, uh, it's okay to admit that you don't, that the the path ahead is not clear. Uh, Saying, I don't know, is not the same as saying, God doesn't know. Mm, <laughs> and yes. sometimes we, as pastors, we confuse the two. Like, if I don't come up with an answer, people are going to stop having faith in God. Well, no, you're not God. You're allowed not to know. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. And, and to say, I don't know, this isn't clear. We're trying to figure it out as we go. And let's rely on God together is actually a greater unifying statement than pretending you know when you don't. So that that's the first one. And then um, secondly, I think we, we need to respond contextually. I, I used to word, use the word relevant, and a lot of people still do, and I don't have an argument with it. But relevant has had a lot of baggage attached to it in the last 20 years in the church world. And for a lot of pastors, especially in smaller congregations, when they hear your church needs to be relevant, what they hear is your church needs to be cool. Mm. Right, relevant has had the cool baggage attached to it. Yeah, it it means lights, and it's like a particular thing. It's become it's narrowed down. Actually, it's become a fairly narrow definition. uh, Yeah, unfairly so, because relevant is is a completely valid word in that context. So I I've shifted from using the word relevant to using the word contextual because it doesn't have the baggage attached to it, at least not yet. (laughs) Right, Right. Uh, but it means the same thing. So we need to respond contextually. Um, You know. As a, as a friend, as I mentioned, you know, the little town not far from you, Bob Cajun, if, if you're pastoring in a town like Bob Cajun, where, where you know, uh, dozens of people have lost their lives and where almost everybody at some point or another has had a test and most of them have, have tested positive, you're going to pastor very differently in that context than in a different small town where nobody's passed away from COVID and you may not even know anybody who's had it. Mm. Right. So, and, and a smaller church to a larger congregation in a big city to a rural area. Each one of these is a very, very different context. And people are seeing all of these issues through lenses that vary depending on their context. So we need to understand our immediate context. We've always needed to, but now more than ever, we need to understand our immediate context so we can respond contextually rather than just, uh, taking our, our our lead from trends. Right now, trends matter less and context matters more um, during a season of of turmoil like we've got right now. Uh, it's such so true. I know a part of what I do is help churches with, you know, group coaching and consulting. And um, it's been interesting in this season because um, 
you know, I, I, there was never a time where a part of what I, what I did was like, Hey, let me tell you about what we did at our church 15 years ago. That has never been relevant. Cause it's like, that was 15 years ago in a different place, different time. Uh, you know, but that, if there was any part of that, that has been taken out of the conversation because, uh, you know, everyone's context is so different. And, you know, even group coaching is interesting because people, you know, there used to be, uh, you know, a bit of a kind of common um, kind of cultural milieu that you could have across the country. But because of, you know, this, because of the way um, we've dealt with COVID and the ensuing economic crisis that has surrounded that is looks so different regionally. Each church is dealing with it differently and each region has its own um, kind of interesting dynamics to it, which actually makes it a great season for you to be reaching out and learning from other people because you can sometimes get a picture of what the future might look like in your area. Sticking with this contextual idea, what would be some changes or some areas that you think churches need to be kind of conscious of, particularly as we look to recover in this season? What what would be some of those areas that you would say, hey, you know, here's a couple, maybe two or three areas that that we should be paying particularly attention to uh, during this season as a church leader as we think about recovering? Yeah, that's a great question. I, one one of the interesting things that I'm seeing right now is um, for a good 20 years or more, one of the primary um, principles that church leaders have been trying to teach to, to churches, and especially to the smaller churches that I work with, is most small churches are over-programmed. Most churches in general are, but most sm- small churches particularly are over-programmed. Mm-hmm. Maybe because back in the day they used to be bigger and they could manage that many programs, They've shrunk in size, but they've kept all the programs. Or maybe because they look at the big church around the corner and go, oh, that's what successful church means. You got to have all these programs, whatever the reasons are, right? Yeah. So most small churches are over-programmed. Well, because of the pandemic, most churches have had to shut down almost everything. We went to only Sunday morning service. And then Wednesday, I recorded a Bible study that went out on our YouTube channel. And that was all we did for months. That's all we were able to do for months. We have decided... We are going to be very, very slow and very, very purposeful about adding new ministries back again. Mm. Uh, We're not going to rush back. We are not trying to get back to normal. There will never be normal again. By the time this is over, you should not look like you did before pandemic. You should look better than you did before pandemic. We should learn things through this. We should be moving forward. And some of that is we now have an opportunity to drop some programs that haven't been working. So the question I uh, I encourage all my uh, fellow uh, church leaders to think about is this. If you're looking at a ministry that you used to do and looking at bringing it back again after COVID, ask yourself this. If you hadn't been doing it before, would you start it for the first time now? Mm, oh, that's and good. And if the answer is no, then if you wouldn't start it, don't restart it. Right, right. And blame COVID. Yes. Yeah, no, it's so true. That's very good. Like, that's a good insight. Like, and we're seeing this, we're seeing this in marketplace examples. We're seeing this in different organizations where, you know, they're stepping back out of a part of what they did. I suspect some of that they're saying it's because of, you know, or they're, they're, you know, it's a part of their response. They're not necessarily directly blaming it, but it's a part of the response to the season. But that would, we'd be wise to be thinking about the same thing in our church. And, and particularly you're saying maybe even smaller churches to be looking carefully. This could be a season for us to become a little bit leaner, a little bit more on mission, a little bit more focused on uh, maybe what God's called us to do. Yeah. You'll, you'll never have a better opportunity in your ministry life than right now to 
to say goodbye to programs that have long ago ended their value and are just uh, sucking resources from you right now. And if you don't take the opportunity now, it will have passed and it'll be even harder to do so later. So use the opportunity right now. If, if we go through all of this and we face all of this trauma and we don't learn something from it, <laughs> you know, at least at least let's learn something from it and let's use what we can to to move forward and do better ministry. And I think that's one of the primary areas we can simplify. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Hey, pivoting to maybe a slightly different conversation. You know, one of the things I've seen is I've seen this season really accelerate some great things in churches that like God's doing really actually some amazing things in this season. And, you know, I, I, I know you're a positive leader. You're not the kind of person that wants to leave us on a, you know, a negative note. I've seen many churches across the country. We did a little thing on, on seminaries, uh, Instagram feed, basically to this point, COVID, if you just search the ta- hashtag COVID church stories, you'll see a whole bunch of church stories that are like kind of good things God's done through churches. Um, what are some things you're seeing that are like, maybe, you know, have been positive in, in the churches that you work with or the churches you've engaged with where, Hey, this has been maybe actually really good for them. Do you have some examples that you could share for us to kind of think about? I, I do. I think one of the primaries is what we already talked about. I've seen some churches really decide, hey, we're going to use this as an opportunity to simplify. Uh, another one is, um, you know, the initial question after the tech was, how do we keep in touch with our congregation members when we're not meeting on a Sunday? And and even for churches now that have physically opened up, you may have a bunch of people who are at risk. And so who can't come physically to the building? How do you stay in touch? So right. one of the things I've seen that is really wonderful is uh, they're using we're using the not smart, smart part of our smartphones and using the actual phone part of our smartphones. Dude, and so people true. are call yeah, and people are calling each other. Um, and I I talked to uh, a a senior in our congregation not long ago who told me, she says, I'm more connected with the younger people in our church now than I was before the pandemic, because they're calling me up every once in a while saying, say, how are you doing? I'm heading to the store. Can I pick something up and drop it off for you? And before it was just like a wave in the hallway. And now it's actual conversations on the phone. And, and when this is over, folks will remember those phone conversations long after they've forgotten how badly we framed the shot on Sunday morning because we couldn't figure (laughs) out the camera. Dude, that is so true. My wife actually, so um, my wife is on on staff at our church and she's on the connection side and is a real people person. Like she, she loves people. And so this has been a bit of a a tough year um, for her because she really misses the like in person and the high fives and hugs in the hallway and the checking in that she's really missed that. But um, you know, she has said the same thing that she's one of the things she's enjoyed is in some way there's actually increased connection. It's actually m- more chance to connect with people and has commented on the exact same thing around particularly retired seniors that who in a church like ours, we're, we are trying to be next generation focused unabashedly. We're trying to say, Hey, how do we grow younger? And what do we do to ensure that it's sometimes it could be easy in a church like ours to kind of forget seniors or, or it, it could be, um, you know, difficult. Now, seniors who travel with us, uh, they, they're on for that mission. They love that. But she said, you know what? I think the seniors in our church are actually doing better than they normally do because of exactly this. There's more connection, more uh, happening. That's fantastic. Love that. <laughs> yeah. There's, it, 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 I actually wrote an article on it a little bit ago. I asked myself, imagine if this pandemic had happened even as recently as 20 years ago when we didn't mm-hmm. have immediate access to live stream and people, most people weren't on social media and so on. How would we have connected then? 
Oh, that's and good. then let's actually connect that way now as well. It's it's more real world. It's more tactile. And I think there are still some old school things we can do that are really, uh, really matter now. Great. Well, I want to encourage people to uh, to kind of pick up this book to – I think it could be – the thing that struck me when I was checking it out is I think this could be a great leadership conversation piece. Hey, let's get this book. Um, read it together as a team. It could it provides a great kind of step forward. It could be the kind of thing maybe your board could do together. Maybe your, your, if you've got staff, maybe get a couple staff together. Even just – you know, if you've got those three or four people at your church that you really love that kind of, they're like a great sounding board. I think this could be a great tool for them. I pictured it in that kind of group environment. Is that the kind of thing you could picture people doing uh, with this book? Yeah, for sure. It's the reason we put the word guide in the title of Church Recovery mm-hmm. Guide uh, is because it is something I think you can read together and it'll kind of guide you forward as you move together as a team. It's, you know, each chapter ca- tackles a very specific piece of subject matter. And I purposely wrote it so that it could be recovering from virtually any crisis, even though it was written for this one. I wrote it in May and Moody somehow got it printed by July. I don't know how they turned it around that fast, uh, yes. but they did. Uh, yeah. I, I was shocked when, because they sent me a copy of it, and I was shocked at how fast the the copy got to me. I was like, "What? Wait, what's did, did Carl know something here? What happened here? You know, it was, <laughs> you know, what was what was happening? Because normally books are measured in years, uh, which it's fantastic. So if if where do we want to send people to pick up this book? How do we, uh, you know, want them if we want to pick up? And there's uh, don't tune out people because there's a, there's something coming up that I want to make sure we get people to. But before we get there, um, how uh, how where do we want people to send people to pick up a copy of it or copies of it? Yeah, it's the Church Recovery Guide. You can get it anywhere you buy books, Amazon, or you can go to my website, carlvaders.com, and click through to the Moody website, especially if you want to buy it in bulk for your group. If you go to Moody, they they have great bulk prices. And it's a short book, even on Amazon. It's just like five fifty or something because it's about 100 pages. It's a quick read. It's something you can really go through with people together easily. Yeah, he's absolutely. I thought the same thing. It's the kind of thing you could give to people on a Tuesday and say, "Hey, could let's talk about this on Saturday." It's not, um, you know, it's it's it, which isn't, you know, which is not always the case, right? Sometimes it's just going to take longer for people to read it, but um, you know, it's action oriented, super helpful, which is which is great. Now, you've actually provided a bit of an assessment, a tool for for leaders to to think about. We're going to link to that here in the show notes. But tell us about this assessment and uh, how will it help us out as we, uh, you know, kind of are in this season. Yeah, over the last few years, you know, when I tell people I'm, you know, the small church guy, um, so much of the way we look at church health is often tied to numbers. And I'm grateful. One of the one of the great gifts the church growth movement has given us is a way of understanding metrics better for health, and it's important. But not every important thing can be measured numerically. There's a lot of things that can't. So when people say, "Hey, if a church is small and it's healthy, how do you how can you tell that it's healthy?" and I get that question a lot, and uh, I finally put together a tool to help with that. So I call it the Church Health Assessment Tool. We just put it up, so it's actually in beta mode right now. So you can take it and get some benefit out of it, but you can also help us make it better. And if you go to carlvaders.com slash church health. That's where it is. And what I do is it's 16 simple questions on SurveyMonkey. What's actually not even question, it's statements. And then it asks you, do you fully agree with this about your church or do you not agree with this about your church? And it covers the four basic areas of theology, leadership, mission, and attitude. So four questions in each of those areas. And then at the end of it, you get a score that tells you, here are the areas that you're strong in. Here are the areas that you need to be working on. And eventually our hope is, that we're going to create a way that we can give you a code that you can give to every member of your congregation. 
And in like three minutes on a Sunday morning, if you want to, to make sure they do it, you can actually give it to them. They can fill it out on their smartphone in three minutes, and you can get an entire read from your congregation about your areas of strength and weaknesses, uh, where you're healthy, where you're not healthy, and what you need to work on. And then from there, it guides you to a resource page with a whole bunch of articles that I've written on each of the 16 subjects to help you get a start on getting healthier again. Mm, so good. I want to encourage people to pick that up and to track along. Uh, you know, Carl's the kind of leader, uh, fully endorsed. He's a great guy, great person, wants to help you, wants to help your church. Uh, and you, you'd be you'd be well advised to pick up everything he writes and to follow along, uh, you know, at his website. Uh, let's give that address one more time. If people want to connect with you, Carl, where do we want to send them? carlvaders.com so if you if you can spell my name right you can find me anywhere it's it's that's that's my name on facebook instagram twitter carlvaders.com get my name right you can find me thanks so much carl i really appreciate you being on uh and you know show and coming back on we'll have you back in the future sometime thanks rich Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary.